Well, hello there. You are in for a real treat if you want to have some really honest and raw conversation because today I have Libby from Diary from an Honest Mom on. A couple of months ago, I found Libby on social media and I instantly fell in love with her content. It was relatable. She talked about parenting. She talked about real life struggles and it was a really nice, safe place to help other women, especially mothers, not feel alone. So when I reached out to Libby and said, will you please be on the podcast? And she said, yes, I was ecstatic. And let me say the conversation, multiple times in the conversation, I like had goosebumps. I I felt like it was very effective. And I hope so much that you love this conversation because we're going to talk about all the parts of being a parent and being a mother that people don't really highlight online, yet we want to make it totally normal. And Libby is literally an all-star at making those things normal. Libby Ward is a digital creator, speaker, and mental health advocate with a deep connection to breaking cycles of trauma. Every week, she posts really killer content to her community of over 700,000 followers on social media in just two years. And she built that community because she is so honest and raw and open. You are literally going to love her. She's been recognized as a mental health advocate by TikTok and has been featured in Global News, Motherly Insider, and media outlets around the world. As a thought leader in today's difficult and complex experience of mental health, Libby is focused on reaching more women with her positive changing stories through speaking engagements and brand partnerships that make a real impact. And let me tell you this, you are going to love today's conversation. I know I've said it multiple times, but if you don't follow Libby, she is on TikTok and Instagram as Diary of an Honest Mom. And we are going to be talking about expectations, ADHD, postpartum depression, mental health, so many things in this episode today. And if you find this episode helpful, as always, don't forget to share it on your social media. Let's make these things normal. Let's help women realize they're not alone. Please share it with your friends, your family, your mothers, your friends, your coworkers, anybody. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. No matter where you listen, you can go to the corner and hit the top three little buttons. If it's an Apple, you can do a follow, or if you're on Spotify or somewhere else, you can subscribe and then you won't miss any episodes as I release a new episode every single Wednesday and we talk all things health and fitness for females. And as always, if you also find this episode helpful, please let me know. I love when you leave a review wherever you listen. And today's review is brought by Jen Law, 1987. She calls it the best. This podcast is so informative and helpful while being relatable and manageable to listening to while chasing my two young kids. Andrea is definitely in the right field of work. She is so real, relatable, which I really appreciate. I try to keep my podcast decently short because I know if you're like me, like you got stuff on your plate. You have things to do. You don't have time to sit around and listen to a two-hour podcast. So I try to get to the point, make it simple, and help give you simple ideas that you can add into your life to make it better. So thank you so much for leaving the review. I appreciate them. It helps the podcast grow, and it helps us be able to get on more guests like Libby and even more to help us all grow and learn together as a community. And before we get into today's episode, I do want to talk a little bit about protein. If you have followed me on social media or listened to any of the podcasts, you know I am a massive 
fan of protein. Protein is what helps build your muscle. Your muscle is what helps make your metabolism faster. It literally makes such a difference for longevity. It helps make your bones and everything stronger when you have solid muscle. So I just think it is so important. And getting high quality protein makes a massive difference. I have been a member of ButcherBox for almost two years now, and I absolutely love it. They partner with high quality companies that do very excellent 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, wild-caught seafood, and more. The reason I love it the most though is because I know the quality is excellent and I get to pick my subscription every month and what is delivered to my house. I'm super busy and I don't always make it to the store. So it's so nice to know that I can quickly pick online what I want in my box. It comes directly to my house. It's always in my freezer and I am good to go. And the fact that I can pick my subscription style so I can get a big box or a little box or whatever and fit my needs is fantastic. And I know that I'm getting quality meats. If you sign up right now, the best thing is you are going to get a free package of container in every single box. So for the rest of your subscription, you will always get a free package of bacon and you also get $10 off your first order. Use the code MAKEITSIMPLE. Again, it's the podcast name, Make It Simple. And you can also, I will add a link in the show notes, but you can also go to butcherbox.com slash make it simple. And I know that you are going to love it, free bacon for life. And knowing that you're getting high quality, solid meats, and it's coming straight to your house is going to make your life a little bit easier, especially during the summer when you can grill. I truly love ButcherBox. As I said, I've used them for about two years, and I know if you test them out, you will love them too. Again, Use the code, make it simple, one free pack of bacon, $10 off, and you will love it. All right, so let's get into it. The raw and real side of motherhood with Libby from Diary of an Honest Mom. My name's Andrea Allen, and I am a mother of four girls under seven, a wifey to a mountain man, a personal trainer, and a nutrition coach. I love all things women's health and fitness, but let's face it, the fitness industry is complicated and it's not built for the everyday mom. There's so much conflicting information and you're busy and you don't have time to figure it out. I hate feeling confused and overwhelmed. So I've made it my mission to simplify health and fitness while creating a welcoming, realistic, and empowering home for like-minded women. I'm happy you're here and I hope you stay a while. Hey, Libby, I am super excited that you are here today. I can admit that I stalked you for a long time on social media, and then I was like, I have to have her on the podcast. I just love everything she shares and promotes and everything, so I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Yes, so if you don't follow Libby on social media, it's Diary of an Honest Mom, and she does cover like a literally massive array of mother topics, which I feel like every post is very relatable relatable to me. So I was curious, like, how did you even start your account? What made you start it? So I started at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, March 2020 on TikTok, actually. I never really connected with Instagram before. Like, I just felt a lot of like, I don't see myself in a lot of the Instagram moms. And so I sort of stayed away from it. And then I was bored in the first few weeks of the pandemic and was like, hey, let's join TikTok. I heard this is interesting and fell in love with it so quickly because it was so authentic and relatable. And so many people were so honest about things that 
I had never seen discussed on social media. So I just started making videos for fun as a creative outlet, like funny, relatable, like mom videos. And it just sort of grew from there. Like I had multiple viral videos and realized that I really liked helping women and connecting with them. And so in the fall of 2020, there was this rumor that um, TikTok was going to get shut down. And I was like, oh, no, I can't lose my people. I'll make an Instagram account so that they can find me there just in case. Like, no intention of growing it or anything like that. Um, Didn't know anything about Instagram. Had never heard the word influencer in my life. Um, Just made this account. And then a few months later, it was like January 2021. I was like, I have all this content from TikTok. I might as well just, like, put it on here. Like, they've got reels now. So I started posting, like, two to three reels a day. And I gained 10,000 followers a month. And... By June, I had 50,000 and by September, I had 100,000 and I thought, hey, this is like a whole thing. And so the rest is kind of history. I cover lots of motherhood topics and this is my job now and I absolutely love it. I love that. I love that you even pointed out, I will say Instagram is a little bit more um, filtered. You know what I mean? Like you don't see as much of the raw. I started on TikTok recently. I just started my account and I love TikTok. It's so laid back and just like Mm -hmm. a little bit more chill. But the thing I love how fast your account grew because every video is relatable, like super relatable. And like everyone, I'm like, oh yes, that's me. Oh yes, I feel that. Oh yes, I felt that. And I think that that's why you've grown so fast is because people are like, this is how I feel inside. And I'm realizing I'm not alone because that's the Mm -hmm. tricky thing about motherhood, as you know, is we often feel alone in it. It is kind of lonely. We have all these kids around us, but it can still feel lonely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I felt so alone in so many of the things that I struggled with because I didn't hear anyone in my personal life talking about them. I didn't see anyone online talking about them. So I thought, well, you must be crazy. You're definitely alone. And now you're ashamed of yourself because you're the only one. Um, And so sharing on social media has not only helped others, but for me, it's very cathartic. And to know that I am not the only one going through so many of these like hard topics that no one really talks about. That's so true. So let's get into some of those topics because you do cover a lot of them. So we're kind of going to have a buffet of motherhood (laughs) topics today. So you often talk about how motherhood is super hard and how there are a lot of expectations. So can we talk about that a little bit? I want to know some of the simple signs and simple things that you do to try to like keep those expectations realistic and how you would teach or like adjust for that in your life. Yeah. And you know what? Expectations is like this buzzword now where everyone talks about it. It says, lower your expectations. And it sounds great. And it's true, but it's so nuanced and there's so much conversation that needs to be had around it. And it doesn't start with expectations. It starts with awareness. So for me, I had to really become aware of what my situation was as a mother before I could adjust my expectations because your situation as a mother and my situation as a mother are completely different. So for me, what is lowering expectations would be to you like your high bar and vice versa, right? Like, because we, you know, we all have these, like we have different financial resources. We have different support systems. We have different traumas, different mental health. We're in different geographical locations with different access to healthcare with different, like everything for each one of us, even like you and your neighbor is totally different to what you have access to. That's a really good point. Right. And so I really had to, you know, stop comparing myself to people in vastly different circumstances and then look at my life and say, okay, what things are benefiting me and what things are sort of a hindrance to not only give myself grace for the things that I can't do perfectly, or I can't do to my standard, but also then change my expectations. So for example, 
you know, when I became a mom, my best friend did at the same time. And it was amazing. She was a supportive friend. It was awesome. Um, but I didn't have parents supporting me. We weren't super financially stable, you know, money was tight and my husband worked shift work. So my support system and our financial resources were completely different, right? So she had, you know, two sets of, you know, married parents still around, grandparents helping out, financial resources, things like that. Um, And so, but I always looked to her and compared myself to her and what I was doing with my kids or what I had for my kids and all this kind of stuff. Um, And I realized it was just ridiculous because my life is completely different to hers. And so while both of us would benefit from lowering our expectations, we have to lower them in different ways and different things, right? So I had to lower my expectations for the things I purchased for my kids. I had to lower my expectation for screen time. I had to lower my expectation for different things based on my specific circumstance. You know, there's no like cut and dry, like you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do that. You really have to be honest about where am I at? You know, how many kids do I have? Do they have, you know, do they have disabilities? Do, you know, is my husband around? There's all these different things. And it's only once we have that awareness that we can then look at our expectations and be like, okay, what's going to go? What can we not do anymore? What is unrealistic? So, um, yeah, uh, that sounds very like, there isn't like a specific, uh, I would say like, routine you have to follow for like what expectations to lower but really spending some time like being aware of what my life looked like and getting that bird's eye view is what helped me to like put things in order of like okay we're going to keep doing this because it's important and valuable to our family and this we're not going to do because we don't have the capacity anymore I love that actually I don't know why I hadn't even thought about that about expectations is oftentimes our expectation is brought on by comparison And so Mm -hmm. we assume because we look around, Mm -hmm. oh, they're doing this, I should be doing this. They're doing this, I shouldn't be doing this. And so Mm -hmm. you're right in that most things that we think we need to do, you know, in parentheses, is because we've seen others do it or we don't need to do. So that really is a good point in that you kind of have to take a step back, as you said, and look at just your life, you know, Mm -hmm. just what's in your sphere and then say, this is doable, this isn't doable, this isn't doable or is, and stop the comparison. Because I know comparison, I feel like comparison is the root of so many problems. It's not even, it is Mm -hmm. definitely. Right. And then I I forgot to mention this part is our values, right? So we think about our value systems and what is important to us and what our goals are in our life and our family and things like that. And so one comparison I used to make and one expectation I used to feel bad about was around sports. So I grew up with a single mom. I was never sporty. I was never into, you know, the hockey world or the football world or anything like that. I knew nothing about it. It's just not something that is like a value of mine. Um, And in our family, you know, in in my community, I live in a small town in Canada. Like you are only like you've made it if your kids are in ice hockey. Like, okay, it, it is like the sport that everybody plays. And like, it, there's like a whole like social group around it. There's this like subculture, like everyone plays, all the cool families hang out. It's this whole thing. And there was a time when I was like, oh, like, is there something wrong with us for not putting our kids in sports? Like that, like we don't value spending like five nights a week at the rink. Like, does that mean we're not good parents? Like all this kind of stuff. And it's super expensive. And, you know, I had to stop and be like, I shouldn't want to put my kids in hockey just because everybody else is putting their kids in hockey. I shouldn't want to do this just because other people are wanting to do it. I can't even afford to do it. So why am I wasting my limited capacity, my energy on feeling guilty about it or bad about it or thinking I'm a bad mom when 
I can just focus that energy on the things we do value. You know, our family loves to travel. My husband is from England. We go there every year. We love going to new places. Um, and so that is where we, you know, spend, you know, time and energy and money. We like spending time outside. And it's this whole thing of like, then somebody else shouldn't look at us and then be like, oh, they spend so much time outside with their family. Like I should really be doing that. If it's not valuable to you, then don't do it. If you don't have the resources for it, then don't do it. Like, yeah, yeah, so it's all connected. The awareness, the comparison, the expectations, they all intersect. And that's why I talk about so many different issues. Priorities. Yeah. Priorities and values and capacity. I literally just had this conversation with my little sister. I'm visiting, you know, family. We come up to Utah in the summertime. We're like you. We really enjoy the outdoors and traveling. And um, we were talking about some things and, and I was kind of explaining to her, because it is funny that people do value different things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what is important to someone, maybe having them on the best dance team or the best, you know, hockey team or having this or that may not be important to someone else. And it is important, like you said, to recognize and almost say to yourself, is that truly a priority to me? Exactly. Or am I or am I thinking about that that I need to do that because everyone around me, that's a priority to mm-hmm. them. And that's a really Absolutely. good point because when you take a step back, look at what you can manage. Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you have a husband that works a lot. Like you said, a child with a disability, mm-hmm. so many layers. And then also saying, what is actually a priority to me? Yes. Like I even remember at one point I like looked at my kids going to school and I was like, wow, everyone else, like their hair is like super done every day. But I'm like, I got four girls. I run a business. I'm like, I'm lucky if I get a brush through everybody's hair. Right. <laughs> it's like such right. a small example, but it's like, we got other things. You know what I mean? Like I do my best yes. and that's good enough. And if we could get better at saying that, I love you pointing out the expectations, the awareness, the priorities and all of that. That makes complete sense to find a happy medium for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you also talk about gentle parenting. That's something else that I have kind of been paying attention to lately in general. And I'm curious, like, would you consider yourself a gentle parent? Like, what have you learned about it? What do you like? Right. So gentle parenting came into my world, into my vocabulary, I would say 12 to 18 months ago through TikTok, Instagram, social media. And it resonated with me because I consider myself to be a cycle breaker. So I grew up in a really volatile volatile environment. We lived in poverty. Uh, My mom had undiagnosed and untreated mental health and personality disorders. And so I went through a lot of, you know, emotional neglect and trauma in that way. And when I became a parent, I knew for certain that I didn't want to raise my kids the way I was raised. I knew that we didn't want to be a yelling family. I knew that you know, I wanted my kids to trust me and respect me, not because they were told to, but because I earned it and, and all, all that kind of stuff. I wanted to validate their emotions and not make it like I was more important than them or that, you know, that they were responsible for my happiness. Um, so I've known that ever since I became a parent, I didn't have the language to call it anything in particular. And so when I was first exposed to gentle parenting, I thought, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> you know, I, t- I try yeah. to be gentle, try to validate my kids' emotions. I try not to make them responsible for me. I try to, you know, make sure they know that they're like loved and secure and safe and, and all that kind of stuff. I thought, yep, that kind of sounds like me. Um And then as like time has gone on and the number of creators talking about it and the number of the amount of information that's out there and all that kind of stuff, I've realized, I don't think I would label myself as a gentle parent. I wouldn't say I'm labeled as any type of parent. I would say that I love that there are creators and books and there's stuff out there to really give parents the tools 
to parent their children in a way that is like loving and emotionally healthy and all that kind of stuff. And I, I love a lot of the stuff that's out there about gentle parenting, but I never like to put a label on myself because there's things in under gentle parenting that I do. And there's things that I don't do. And I just have to take the information and the advice that is worthwhile to me and valuable to me and helpful to me and use that in my parenting and leave the rest. I love that because you say that other- too, because you even talk about how picking, picking the pieces that work for your yeah. family, like the same thing with expectations, what you feel like this is for us, this is a priority for us and right. running with it instead of being like, I can't be all of these things about gentle parenting, but I can pick the ones right. that really jive with me. Right, right. And you know, context matters so much. And as someone who creates mainly short form video, I am hyper aware of the fact that you cannot cover every nuanced situation and context around a topic that you're making a video about. That goes for me. That goes for any creator. You know how it is. People yeah. will watch a video and be like, oh, well, have you considered this? Well, what about this? What about this? Yes. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's like rightfully so. And other times it's like, okay, just take it for what it is and move on, you know, and it's the yeah. same with gentle parenting. But the issue is when people see posts about gentle parenting, they read the text or they watch the video and they're like, oh, well, now that means this and now that means this and I can't do all that and now that means this whereas if you really like delved deep into a lot of it you would see that it's not as cut and dry as short form video makes it look and um when I look at gentle parenting and even the label itself I think okay so I try my best not to yell at my kids I try my best not to traumatize them does that mean I feel gentle inside 100% no (laughs) like I feel like deep rage inside of my bones as I'm appearing gentle. Um, And one thing I think that gets missed in some of the social media conversation around gentle parenting is it's so child focused that we're not addressing the needs of mom. And you can't be a gentle parent and you can't be a present parent and a loving parent if you are sleep deprived and you haven't had your own needs met and you haven't eaten and you don't validate your own emotions. You haven't yeah. modeled that mommy's emotions and mommy's needs and mommy's everything is important too. And so I love gentle parenting. I love that we're talking about it. I hope my dream is that people would listen to context, read more, take what works for them and leave what doesn't. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you pointed out that you're you're doing your best to not yell at your kids, but then you still kind of rage inside. And the tricky part about that is then, at least for me, I know when I'm <laughs> raging inside, I'm not fully present. It doesn't matter for if sure. I'm not yelling at my kids. For I'm sure. not present because inside yeah. I'm like fuming. The, there's like right. gas, you know, fires flaming yeah. inside. And so it's tricky that you're like, yes, we got to work on that, but we also have to work on the mother. How do we then you know, try to tame that and be aware and some of that self-care and just trying to pick the pieces with gentle parenting and realizing it's not perfect. There's still pieces that are really hard like that. That's still really complicated. Yeah. And there, and it's just that balance of like, yes, we want to validate our kids' emotions, but what good is it to say, oh, how you're feeling about this is valid and I hear you and that's hard and it's okay and you can be sad. But here I am squashing all my feelings down, not expressing that I'm angry, not expressing that this is unfair, not expressing that I'm tired. 
Um, and it's like, you know, we need to model that, you know, it doesn't yeah. mean that you're screaming at your kids being like, you made me feel this way. But it does mean that we're showing them that we are important too. And by prioritizing ourselves, we're going to be able to show up as a parent we want to be more. I love that. That's a really good point. Something else that you actually talk about with parenting is that you have ADHD. And I love when you talk about it because I do too. I grew up with a mother who had ADHD. And I'll be honest, as a child of a mother who had ADHD, it was a little complicated. Um, and now as a mother, I recognize some of the things she did. And I <laughs> I can say I have, I don't want to say remorse, but understanding, you know, and, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the beauty is as we experience these, we want to break cycles. We want to be better. I don't want to do some things for my kids that sometimes happen to me because of the, you know, experience that right. I had with my own mom. And I also have a daughter who has ADHD and we've been to a therapist over and some other stuff. So what are some techniques that you have learned that have helped you with your situation? Because I know that this is one that like sometimes on social media, we, we joke about it and we laugh about it and we recognize it, but like, it can be hard. Like it can be really yeah. hard to parent when you are ADHD. It can be tricky, and especially even if you have a kid who is as well. Yeah, no, it's really hard, and it is hereditary. So often, like it runs through family lines. And totally, you know, my my son hasn't been diagnosed, but he has you know every sign and symptom. And I see now that my mom also had it. And so you can see it like traveling through the lines. And I, you know, I lived in shame for a long time over a lot of my ADHD traits. I didn't realize I had ADHD. Oh, so did I. For a long time, you're embarrassed. You're like, I, yeah. why can't I not think this way? Or right. why can't I concentrate? Right. Or why can't I do this yeah. this way? And you beat yourself yeah. up. Yeah. And especially because a lot of the narrative around motherhood is that, you know, we're A-type personalities. We like to be organized. We're the ones that are focused. We're the ones that are the cleanest. We're the ones that are like doing all these things. Um, You know, and the narrative is that like our dummy husbands are not doing anything, which is so not the case in many situations. Um, And so, I mean, there's issues with that in and of itself. But for me, I looked around and I was like, oh, like my friends are organized. Like they don't miss appointments. Like they're not late for things. Like they can focus on their work. They don't seem to get triggered by noise. Like they, oh, like what is wrong with me? And like, what is wrong with me that like my husband is the one that loads the dishwasher in an organized manner. And I'm just like, nah, I'll just throw it in and it'll be fine. You know, like. <laughs> I've never felt I, so seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And like. You know, I, I made a TikTok about it the other day where it's like you're surrounded by moms being like, oh, my husband, this and this. And I'm like, I'm the husband. Like, I, 100%. I'm the one that's disorganized. I forget things. Like, I'm whatever. Oh, and then you almost have issues with your marriage because you're like, why are we opposites? Yeah. Is there something wrong right. with us that like yeah, yeah. we're the one, yeah. like at least we do. I know we we have talked to, you know, even like therapists and stuff about we are opposites of what most, mm-hmm. you know perfect, whatever parentheses, you know, which isn't correct, but what you see in females and males. And so I relate to, to that so much, you know, cause we're the opposites too. Yeah. And so techniques, I mean, ever since I've been diagnosed, I've used more of these, but even before I knew it was ADHD, I just recognized, I got to a point where I had to be very aware, again, awareness of what was happening inside of my body. So if we talk about overstimulation, Sure. Other people don't seem to get overstimulated like I do. My husband doesn't seem to be bothered by noise, like all this kind of stuff. And so rather than focus on the shame and feeling bad about it, I was like, let's put this energy into figuring out how to not be triggered and not 
get upset. So everything from making sure I have breaks, like locking myself in the bedroom sometimes, getting noise canceling headphones, wearing them around the house, you know, making sure we have like quiet time scheduled in. I get overstimulated when I'm like out of the house with the kids. So often like when we get back, I'm like, I need 20 minutes of quiet time. And so I literally would just be like, I'm going to go sit in my bedroom for 20 minutes so I can recoup. Because if I walk in the house after a busy day out and everyone's like, I need this, I need that. Blah, 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 I'm like, that's what I'm going to blow. So yeah. techniques just like around like scheduling alone time, scheduling breaks, and then like going back to the awareness and the expectations. I'm like, you know what? My husband is a shift worker. I often come home by myself with the kids it's not that like he can always take over and so what happens is the tv babysits and I don't feel guilty about it because the tv babysitting for 20 minutes means that I'm not going to blow my top when somebody asks me for a snack when that 20 minutes is done right (laughs) Right? like so so you know techniques around the overstimulation and then just techniques around like scheduling and reminders and realizing that okay sure maybe other moms don't need these extra tools in place but I do and it, it helps me to function better okay I love that you point this out because the truth is everything's connected and everything that we've even talked about so far, you're like awareness. You can't just go through the motions. You can't just expect to be the same as everyone else, whether it's expectation or parenting or even with ADHD. Because I know for me, as you said, you know, taking the 20 minutes or you're going to blow, I instantly thought of situations where I'm like, if I had just like literally taken 10 minutes, put on a show for my kids, gone in my bedroom and like not with social media, not with any work, not with my computer, not trying to concentrate on like new content and just relaxed, I probably would have handled things better. And it's such a simple thing. But again, that awareness that I'm at the brim, I'm not doing well, I'm overstimulated, there's a lot going on. And for other people, they might not experience that overstimulation, but just being aware and recognizing like that cutoff point for you and then taking a step back. And when you said that, I instantly was like, oh, I got to be better at that. I got to recognize that cutoff and take my step back and, you know, kind of like regroup. Right. And it's just that constant being aware of ourselves, which connects to the gentle parenting, which connects yeah. to the expectations. It's like we have to be the one that's aware of what's happening in our body. We can't expect anyone else to know that we're feeling agitated or to know that we're reaching our limit or to know that you know, we have so much to do on our to-do list after the kids go to bed and we're not going to get a break and that this is our only moment. We have to be able to be aware of ourselves and advocate for ourselves and put those things in, in place. You know, we, we have to be responsible for our own like emotional regulation. Yeah. No, and that makes sense. And I think sometimes we are just flying through the motions and we're like, oh, I'm mad I reacted that way or I'm upset I reacted that way, but we're not regulating them because we're not being aware that they're tipping. Right. Right. And then like one more. So if you think about gentle parenting and let's say you're thinking, okay, well, that video said that I need to validate their emotions and I need to, you know, sit with them through it and I need to do all these things. That's taking out the context that you're literally about to blow. So that's where you need to take on the nuance and the context and, you know, your awareness of your situation and be like, okay, I know I need to validate, but my choice right now is either validate until I lose my mind because it's not working or my choice is to walk away and have a validation conversation later. And maybe option B is the best right now because I've looked at my own situation and made choices for myself based on my situation. I seriously love that. And it makes complete sense that as you said, it's not cut and dry and it's not always like someone else can give you advice. That's not always right, but it's about paying attention to what you're feeling 
and your emotions and your awareness, and then picking the best route for the current situation for you. Something else that I love that you talk about since we are kind of doing this smorgasbord of you know motherhood is you talk openly about depression. We've kind of talked about overwhelm as well and about postpartum depression. And while I definitely don't want to group these all perfectly together because there are different degrees, there are different situations, there is um, overwhelm, which is different than postpartum depression and is different even than you know, depression on its own. They're very, there's degrees, like I said. So I don't want to um, negate what anyone's feeling depending on the degree. But I would love if you would tell us your story because I've read it a couple of times and I think it's very relatable. And I know, especially with depression, that people feel, A, they're not great at feeling the emotion. And I've, t- I've done a whole podcast on depression. My mother had depression and, you know, she had some other things going on. So I'm really aware of that. And I've told my own story with depression with my parents and myself and stuff. So I would love for you to share your story because I think the more people hear different styles and versions of stories, the more they can find pieces that connect with them. And again, it's taking the pieces that relate and using them and leaving the rest. Yes. So if I think about depression as a whole, I wouldn't have been able to name it at the time, but my journey probably started when I was a teenager, um, living with my mom and my stepdad and going through a lot of like psychological and emotional abuse. And so I was quite depressed at that time to the point that I, you know, was close to, uh, making some attempts and I did not, um, And then I sort of like moved through it and became a young adult and moved on with my life and things were going pretty good. And even through my, you know, the birth of my firstborn, you know, I had, you know, we'll say like the baby blues or the hormones and things like that. But I wouldn't even say that I experienced depression then. It was mostly just like having a hard time and some sads. And then my second born came along and I fell into like, the darkest pit of my life and my depression manifested as rage. So I'm not a sad, depressed person. I am a very angry, depressed person, which has a whole other level of shame to it because it's not like people then feel bad for you and sympathetic. Well, maybe they do, but it's this thing of like, I'm now just mad at the entire world. And I also am mad at myself and I'm mad that I'm mad and I feel guilty that I'm mad that I'm mad <laughs> and you know like <laughs> so my, many layers like, cycle of emotions like yeah. you know I had this toddler and this newborn and my newborn refused to eat like wouldn't breastfeed wouldn't bottle feed you know cried all the time no nipple work no formula worked you know he lost a lot of weight and because he was so hungry he didn't sleep well so probably for a year i didn't sleep for more than 2 hours consecutively at a time and it literally no exaggeration made me feel like i was going insane oh, like yeah. i felt like i was not a human being i didn't know who i was anymore i didn't um recognize myself i was mad at my husband that he got to go to work mad at my toddler for still needing me, mad at my baby for not doing things babies were supposed to do, mad at my friends who didn't have kids, mad, like, I was just mad. of your mad friends who have kids that are, like, low-key, like, so many layers to it, that. All of it, yeah, <laughs> mad at my friends with babies who aren't like him, mad at, yeah. like, literally And then someone says, being. is he a good baby? And you're like, I am literally yeah. <laughs> gonna lose yeah, I'm mind. like, 
I, I have bad thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I have bad thoughts in my head about myself and my baby and I don't even know how to process them. And then the shame um, and guilt set in. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. And like, what kind of mother are you? And all that kind of stuff. And honestly, like it was awful. And I was just, I, I look back at pictures of that time and I'm like, that wasn't even me. Like that wasn't yeah. even me. Um, and it, it was really, it was really bad. And so I did eventually come out of it, like a combination of getting help, getting therapy, him starting to eat a little bit and not cry every moment of the day. Um, you know, a lot of things. And then even, you know, you know, my second born has just been much harder than my first. Like he didn't talk until he was three and a half, you know, because he lacked communication. We had a lot more tantrums. Like it was really, really hard. And so, since being in a deep pit, I now just feel like I'm just below the surface all the time. Like I wouldn't say that I'm in a deep pit, but I, I generally feel on the edge of like, it just takes one more like thing and I could go down. And so I have to be very aware of myself and my feelings and what's happening and my boundaries and my capacity and my children and all those things. And I have to consistently practice things and do things that are going to keep me afloat because it's one of those things with I don't know exactly what the statistic is but like once you've experienced depression you're so much more likely to experience it again and it's you know often just a part of your life that you live with that flows and is worse and better at times yeah so you know since that deep pit it's pretty much just been there but I'm now functioning and feel like I you know I know who I am but I'm generally at the edge of anything could happen I love that you pointed out that I think we do, I think society does say, oh, if they're depressed, they're quiet and they're, you know, a recluse and they pull away and, and that is almost easier. But when the rage comes in, which I think is really common and that's what people try to hide because they think I'm not depressed. I'm just angry. You know, like mm -hmm. they don't recognize that the rage. So I love that you pointed that out because right when you said it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. And then people may not recognize that rage as depression right. because they're ashamed and then they're hiding it because right. they don't fit, again, the mold of what they assume right. depression looks like. And especially for postpartum depression, because that's a hard one because people feel like I should be happy. I'm, you know, I'm lucky I have yeah. a child. I have all these things. And then there's just so much shame. Like, how did you work through some of the shame of that? Because it breaks my heart that that shame is there because it's incorrect, but it doesn't right. change that it's there, you know, that it's real and that people feel that like deep in their souls. Like, how did you work through that? I, you know, I, I think like many just spent a long time trying to force myself not to feel it yeah. instead of actually allowing myself to feel the negative feelings and therapy helped with that a lot. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of the shame, aside from therapy, I would say that connection with other people and vulnerability has been my biggest antidote to shame. Okay. You know, sharing my story and sharing what I'm going through with other people and knowing that they're going through that as well is like magic. It's like a magic pill to be like, to sit there and spend so long being like, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm the worst mother. I feel terrible. Uh, all these negative things. And then you share with someone you know, I'm going through X, Y, Z, I, Z, and they're like, oh my gosh, me too. Then you're all of a sudden like, oh, maybe I'm not a terrible mom. Maybe this is just something I'm going through. Yeah. It's um, just a piece of it. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like reading Brene Brown's books, uh, all of her books. She talks a lot. She talks so much about vulnerability and shame. And, you know, shame is something that we all experience to one degree or another on various different topics. And, you know, her, you know, her words on all kinds of things have really just inspired me to know that there's nothing to be ashamed of by having negative feelings and by having certain experiences and to get rid of that shame, it needs to come out. It doesn't have to come out to like a giant platform. Like I have, it doesn't mean you have to share with the entire world, but you know, even having one person that you can say it out loud to, and even if it's not something they've gone through, there is like, I have had like visceral reactions of like a weight feeling like it is off my shoulders by saying my feelings out loud um, with a trusted person yeah. you know with a person who you know is not going to gaslight you or be a narcissist if you can you know, find course, someone who knows yeah, yeah I was gonna say if you can find someone who knows what empathy is mm-hmm. yes absolutely. Than sympathy and you absolutely. know absolutely she teaches that I am big on that 100%. because and and when I say that what I mean is some people say oh you know that sucks that's <laughs> that's hard for you but empathy if you can find a friend a sibling a mother a coworker, anyone who instead is willing to listen and almost feel that with you because mm-hmm. empathy, like they kind of take in the experience in themselves and imagine themselves and say, yes, that mm-hmm. would be hard. It's not trying to fix your problems. It's not trying yeah. to tell you, you know, like, you know, at least it's this, or at least you don't do this, you know? Yeah, so if you are going to talk to someone, try to think of someone who is good at taking on the perspective yeah. and, and saying like, and listening, you know? So I right. love that you pointed that out. It's that like validation piece, you know, that like maybe you haven't experienced it and maybe you don't know, but you can feel it with me and you can allow me to feel it without adding to my shame. Yes. Because there are ways that you share with people that just add to your shame with how they respond. And some red flags I would say are comparative suffering and toxic positivity. So if you share your heart with somebody and their first response is, well, at least you didn't X, Y, Z. Oh, well, at least, you know, that you know, makes like, imagine- nobody feel good. You're instantly like, ah. well, I never should have said anything. Thanks for making my life right. worse. <laughs> right. Well, at least this didn't happen. Or yeah, but you're so lucky your children are healthy. Oh uh, yeah, but you're so lucky that you could have children. Yeah. But look on the bright side, like red flag, just run, run yeah, the it, other direction. They just need to yeah. be able to say, I'm so sorry that you're experiencing mm-hmm. that. That's mm-hmm. all. That's all. Yeah. And I think yeah. even if you are that friend, if you have someone coming to you, be aware that like they just need to tell you and you just need to take it in and mm-hmm. say, I'm so sorry that that happened to you or I'm so sorry you're experiencing mm-hmm. that or whatever it is. Don't try to fix their problems. Let them get it mm-hmm. off because like you said, Libby, it just took a weight off your shoulder and you were like, okay, I shared it. I'm okay. It, it's going to help me progress and let it go. Yeah. I love that. One one other, I have to say one other phrase that is like, makes me just like, I can't. When people say, I know exactly how you're feeling. And when my my dad died in December and, um, you know, he had a a really hard life. He was deaf and illiterate and he had intellectual disabilities. I had to advocate for him a lot. And, you know, I missed out on half my childhood with it. Basically, it was very complicated, complex trauma, a lot of stuff. And, you know... People, he died and I had a really hard time. And people say, I know exactly how you're feeling. My dad died or I know exactly how you're feeling. And I thought, you have absolutely no idea how I'm feeling. Like this is so multifaceted and there is so much going on here and it almost hurt more. And so there's definitely value in learning how to validate someone without telling them that you know exactly what what they're feeling just because 
you are experiencing the same label, whether it's depression or grief or whatever, you know, um, that's something that we all need to work on, I think. Yeah. And I think if anyone can watch the video, if you go online, I'm going to link it in my stories from Brene Brown, the sympathy or the empathy video. Mm -hmm. She talks about empathy Mm -hmm. instead of sympathy. I'm going to put it in the show notes because it's so good. And I think that video alone teaches you how to respond to people who are trying to get things off their shoulders, who need that support. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I will link that video. Okay. So we kind of, kind of covered this, but if there was anything that someone could tell you in that situation, what would it be? Would it just be that they listened? Like, what do you wish someone had said to you? I wish someone would have said to me that I'm not crazy and that feeling what I was feeling was okay. And that it wasn't a reflection on my character and that reaching out for help didn't mean that I failed. I love that. I think everyone could hear that. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I think every I think I literally am like, "Oh my gosh." I think everyone has a situation in their life or an experience or something that's happened to them that they just need to hear that. And it makes yeah. it better. It's not problem solving. It's not fixing. It's just mm-hmm. making them feel okay. Yeah, and recognizing our humanness. And yes. That, and, you know, so much as women, we, we think that our negative experiences and feelings are a reflection on who we are, what our character is, and um, what kind of mothers we are, people we are, when really they're just reflections of our feelings and experiences. Yeah, I love that. That makes complete sense. Libby, I've enjoyed so much talking to you. I I love your stuff because there's always so much real and rawness in it. And even in this episode, I'm like, there's so many pieces that I'm like, I can walk away and I think I can work on being more aware. I can, I can work on how I respond to people or how I, you know, interact and just some of the things you said. So can you tell us where we can find you on social media? Because your content is great. It's so relatable and it's so um, refreshing refreshing to see things that you're like, Oh, I'm not alone. Like I'm not crazy. Like you said, I'm not crazy and I'm not failing and I'm not Mm -hmm. any of those things. I'm just learning through my experience. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I would love more friends to come and join my community. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find me at diary of an honest mom on both Instagram and TikTok, And I actually have a website and blog as well, where I go a little bit deeper into some of these issues. It's triple W dot diary of an honest mom.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. I truly, from the bottom of my heart, hope that you took something from that conversation that can help you feel like you're not failing and you're normal and what you're experiencing is okay and that you are not crazy. There's so much truth to the fact that we are comparing and our expectations are off. And so I hope that you can take a step back from your life and look at what things are actually helping you or hurting you and where you can adjust and some of those other things that we discussed. As always, if this episode was helpful, please don't forget to share it on your social media with your friends. We would love if you would tag my Instagram handle, Deliciously Fit and Healthy, or Libby's, which is Diary of an Honest Mom. It was a great conversation, and we truly hope together that it helped you feel like you're not alone. As always, you are doing better than you think you are, and we'll chat next week.